there. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to just uh, take care of a little bit of housekeeping business briefly, just to get us all on the same page. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for your generosity toward uh, the December missions giving. As you know, many times Southern Baptist churches will join together in uh, what's known as the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And uh, this year, you guys raised, uh, we gave together $1,635 for the International Mission Board, specifically for Lottie Moon. And uh, one of the joys that we have in that is we have with us a, a couple uh, providentially, a surprise, um, but David and Eileen, if you guys want to raise your hands, David and Eileen are serving with the International Mission Board in Germany. They're working among refugees there. And so those gifts that we, we provided and others, we can keep giving all year long and we give through the cooperative program, but those gifts specifically help people like David and Eileen and the thousands of other Southern Baptist missionaries that are going all over the world for the sake of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. And as you know, the other thing we were doing is helping a church plant that we've been working with in one of the most unreached parts of the United States, and that is in New England with Grace Harbor Church in their ministry, uh, West End Ministry Center. And together we contributed $3,035 for the work that uh, they are doing there to refurbish that place, to open it up. To if you remember, that West End Ministry Center was basically a crack house. It was a, a, a home of prostitution. It was just a, a place infested with drugs and debauchery. And they have purchased it and they're renovating it so that they can use it for training, for equipping, for healing, for recovery, and so many other things. So thank you for your generosity in that way. Uh, and I want to encourage you to continue to be praying for both Grace Harbor, continue to be praying for the missionaries that, that we, we, you know, we don't have an opportunity to know all of the International Mission Board missionaries, but as we do get opportunity, be praying for those that you know. Be praying for uh, the Basses in the Middle East and the Dilworths in North Africa and the Goels in India. Um, and, and I think that our partnership together with them is a joy to the Lord, and, and, and as we continue to pray for them, we can be an encouragement to them. I also want to just give you an update on some things that are beginning this week. As you know, we got a grant from the BCMD, the Baptist, Consen Baptist Con uh, Convention in Maryland-Delaware. Uh, I've been in, in Louisville all week at the Kentucky International Convention Center learning about uh, missions and at the cross conference, and that was a wonderful thing. But the Baptist Convention of Maryland-Delaware gave us a grant, and that has allowed us to begin what is known as the Good News Club. And that's going to start this Thursday at Poolsville Elementary School. And so I want to encourage you, uh, for those who, who have time, who can volunteer and help, reach out to Air Mall. I know he would love to have some, some more helpers with that. But for those who can't, I know a lot of us are working, you know, 3.30 um, to five basically is a difficult time for a lot of us to get there. So what we can be doing is be praying. Be praying that as the gospel goes forth here in our community, just as we're praying that it goes forth around the world, that those who are far from God would come to know him. Be praying for those volunteers that God would strengthen them and encourage them that, that they would be bold and clear in their witness. And the, at, that the kids and their families would be receptive. And for those of you guys who, with, who have children at Poolsville Elementary and want to have them have some extra Bible education, they're going to learn about missions. They're going to learn some really cool new songs. Nancy Currington, I believe, is going to be teaching some of those missions-oriented songs. We're going to be talking about Bible stories and a whole variety of things in order to infuse 
the good news of Jesus Christ into Poolsville Elementary after school. So be praying for that on Thursday. Also want to let you know that this coming Sunday, next Sunday, begins our newly revamped membership class called Explore PBC. And for those of you guys who are interested, not yet members, want to learn more, we have uh, the first lessons here. I have them in the back. If if we'd, I'd love for you to be a part of that. This is going to be Sunday from 9 to 10 o'clock right before our time of fellowship. We'll meet over in the cafe. Brian's gonna be teaching this first one on the gospel. And uh, so if you're not yet a member or kind of curious what does it mean to be a member of Poolsville Baptist, let me encourage you to grab one of these on your way out and join us uh, for the next four Sundays at nine o'clock over in the cafe. And then finally, I wanna uh, just encourage all of us, next Sunday night, next Sunday evening, we're gonna have uh, a family game night and uh, Air Mall is pulling that together. There's a link in the midweek email. Bring some games, bring some food, uh, bring the kids. We're gonna have fun and uh, just enjoy a time of fellowship together uh, as we uh, celebrate as, as a family, as the family of God here at, at Poolsville Baptist. Um, but with that being said, let me pray for us as we dive into the word and uh, as, as we consider God's word together today. Father, we do thank you for the joy and the privilege we have of coming before you to worship you freely, to worship you openly, to be able to gloriously proclaim your goodness and love and mercy. So, Father, as we open your word together, we pray that you would inform us, that you would instruct us, that you would help us to align our lives with you. And God, I pray that you would help me. Help me to convey your word clearly. God, I pray that if there is anything out of alignment with your word that I say, God, may that be forgotten. Holy Spirit, I know that you do preach better sermons than I can write. So God, I pray that you would preach the sermon to our hearts, that you would have each of us here. Help us. We humbly come before you and seek to understand you more fully. Speak by your word and your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, there's a guy named Donald Whitney. He's a professor and author. He's worked in church ministry. He's done some work around the world. He's written a couple of books, and I'll reference those a bit later. But several years ago, he took a trip to Africa And this isn't to say that this is how all African places are, but the place that he went to in Africa happened to be kind of an interesting place. He went there to encourage Christians. And so he and his team went into this tribe, went into this village, and they began to spend time together. And they noticed some very interesting things about these Christians. They would gather together on Sunday. They would worship and sing songs. They might even dance a little bit. They would give offerings. They would do all the things that we do. And then a pastor would get up and preach a sermon, and it seemed okay. But then the rest of the week, he noticed that these people were not living the way that Christians live. There was lying. There was bad language. There was adultery. There was fornication. There was cheating. There was stealing. And he began to wonder, how is it that these Christians, these so-called believers, can act like that? And so he began to investigate. He began to inquire. He talked to the pastors of the churches. He talked to the church members. And one of the things they, the conclu- one of the conclusions he came to is that nobody had a Bible. No, not even the pastor. 
What he learned is that the pastor of that church and the pastor of the other village churches, they would just hand around sermons. So about every six weeks, the, the congregation would get the same sermon. And, and, but because the pastor didn't really know the word, all they were doing is regurgitating things that someone else had written. Maybe they learned about it. I ran across this in, in some of my trips to India and that many of the pastors there who lacked formal training would actually take um, prosperity gospel preachers' cassettes refurbish those sermons and preach those because they thought, wow, it worked for that guy, so might as well work for me. Let me see what I can do. But what Donald did on this trip is he and the guys he was with, they were like, we got to change this. We need to infuse this, these villages, this church, these churches with the word of God. And so they uh, wrestled together some money on this trip. They went to the local town and they bought as many Bibles as they could and brought them back to these churches in order to help them have fuel for the life that God had called them to live because our salvation is not just, as some people would say, fire insurance. It's not just an escape from the judgment of hell. Our, our salvation is something that should inform how we live and we learn about how we should live through the word of God. And in response to this, in, in response to this encounter, Donald Whitney writes, he says, no spiritual discipline is more important than the intake of God's word. Nothing can substitute for it. There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. And in many ways, I think as Christians, we know this. As people here in North America, we know this, and yet... Do we engage with Scripture the way that we should? Does Scripture impact our lives? Do we take it in? Do we value the importance and the treasure of God's Word? And so today, as we reflect on spiritual disciplines and on how we can delight in the Trinity through various disciplines, which is something we're going to be doing for the next several weeks, we're going to begin by thinking about the discipline of taking in Scripture. How do we... How do we learn it? How do we get it in our minds and in our souls so that we can live it out in our lives? So as I, as I mentioned before, if you have your Bibles, want to open to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at a bunch of different places. And because I was out of town all week, we don't have very many slides. So we're going to you just get a few prompts. And you can write down if you want the, all the other references that we're going to use. But in Matthew chapter 4, we have this very interesting encounter. Um, Jesus... You know, he had just been baptized, and then the, the Matthew 4 begins by saying, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It seems like, wow, that's quite a way to start your ministry, Jesus. That's quite a way to begin. And what we find is that he had been there for 40 days fasting and praying. And I love what, what Matthew writes here. He says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Matthew, thank you for having a flair for the obvious. And so the very first test that Jesus had, Satan came to him and tempted him in his very point of need. As with all of us, Jesus, being fully human like us, needed food. He was hungry. 
And so in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And it's as though Satan is trying to get Jesus to prove his divinity. Hey, no normal human can take stone and make it bread, but every normal human needs bread. So prove your divinity by making what is not bread into bread so that you can eat because I know, Jesus, you're hungry. And Jesus responds in Matthew 4, 4. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, as we look at this brief verse, I think we can find three truths about God's word and how it impacts our lives, how it relates to us. And in response, one multifaceted response or implication that we should do. So if you want to fill in the blanks in your outline, here's where it begins. That first truth that we see from this passage is the inspiration is the inspiration of, of the word. In Scripture, we find, we see that it proceeds from the mouth of God. For Jesus, his Bible is what we would call the Old Testament. And he viewed that, he viewed the Old Testament, he viewed the Hebrew Scriptures as the very word of God. And here in the New Testament, Paul affirms the inspiration of Scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. We're typically very familiar with this when he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Now think about that village at the beginning. That village didn't have the word. Those believers didn't have the word, so they couldn't be equipped for every good work because they didn't know what good works were. God, all Scripture is inspired by God. And there are some who want to state that the Bible is just a bunch of man-made traditions, well-meaning human authors who created a, a religion based on the interactions and encounters of one family, namely the, the people of Israel, and who ultimately became a nation. But Scripture is so much more than that. It's not just a history book. It's not just a book of poetry. It's, it is inspired by God for our edification Peter, in his second letter, noted in 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21, and he says, And we have the prophetic and more fully, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the darkness until the day dawns when the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, that first of all, and here's the, here's the inspiration part, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In God's divine way, he prompted people by his Spirit to write things down, See, they had some oral traditions. They had some things that they had already been passing along, kind of like you have traditions in your family. There are stories that you tell, I'm sure, about your ancestors who come, who came to the United States or how you got here and things like that. They had their traditions that were passed down orally and then written down. 
There were some, some things provided a historical and spiritual view of the Israelite history. In the word of God, we get songs. We get sayings, as in the Proverbs. We get sermons, as in the prophets. And when we add in the New Testament, we have so much more. We have the unique perspective of the gospel writers. I think it's such a joy to be able to read them separately, to see the way that Matthew takes, has his view on Jesus versus the way that Mark does, his very fast and rapid, immediately Jesus did this, immediately Jesus did that. And then you have the methodology of Luke as he very carefully interviews and documents people and then, inspired by the Spirit, writes down this very careful account of Jesus' life. And then John, who helps us see Jesus as the Son of God. You have these four very different perspectives. And then in the book of Acts, we get the the joy of seeing how the church launched, how it began. Jesus ascended, and then his church was spread out. And then we get the letters to the churches that help them and us practically apply the salvation that Jesus secured for humanity so that we know how to live, what it means to be a Christian. And so as Jesus responded to this initial temptation from the devil, he saw the word of God, the written word of God. He saw the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, as being from God, the very words of God, inspired by God. But the second truth that we, I think, need to come to and need to recognize is is the nutrition the nutrition that we see in the word of God. Obviously, Jesus was physically hungry, and I think all of us would be physically hungry after 40 days. Shoot, I'm physically hungry after four hours. I ate a while ago. I normally have a protein bar, but I didn't get to do I'm hungry. I'm ready for lunch. Should we go? <laughs> but here's the thing. Jesus seemed to be implying that just as bread is good for the body, so too the word of God is good for the soul. See, you and I are more than physical beings. There are some people who want to say that, yes, humans are physical, and that is all they are. All we do is a bunch of, all we are is a bunch of neurons and cells that move back and forth. We get to converse, but, but we're just animals, if you will. They're, they're, as physical beings, there are things that we need. We need relational connections. We need Relationship In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so he created Eve. We need connection with others. We are not alone in this life. And as Christians, we get the pleasure and privilege of being able to walk through the joys and sorrows of life with each other. That's what we get to do as a church. And for those of you guys who are interested, that Explore PBC class is all about helping us understand what it truly means to be a church. This week at that conference, I was so encouraged when time and time and time again, the, the speakers would come back to the importance of the local church. They want to send people all over the world to be missionaries, but so often they said, if you're feeling called to go overseas, go home and serve. Make sure you're serving the Lord well in your local church. Make sure your church affirms the calling that you feel like you have. Mission agencies don't send missionaries. The International Mission Board doesn't send missionaries. Churches send missionaries, and we work in partnership with all those equipping, sending, 
supplying them. All that to say, that was a little bit of a tangent, but we are relational beings. We're not just physical. We don't just have physical bodies. We have emotions. We need that connection with each other. But in addition to being relational beings, we are also spiritual beings. Last week, we read a bit from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4. It says, His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of Him through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become, here's that spiritual part, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Peter goes on to talk about the practical implications of living out our spiritual lives. You see, essentially, what happens in our lives spiritually or vertically with God impacts, how, impacts our lives relationally or horizontally, how we live with each other. God's word gives us nutrition for both, that vertical connection and that horizontal connection. God's word is our spiritual food. So we've seen a bit about the inspiration of Scripture and the nutrition of Scripture. Thirdly, in God's Word, we find the information. We find information. There's really so much that we can learn from the Bible. We learn about the origin of the universe. We learn that God started it all in Genesis 1. We learn about the reality of sin and the problem of sin and where it came from in the world. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. We learn about God's redemptive work throughout Israel's history, the way that he helped people remember his holiness and their fallenness and give them a way to reconnect with him in spite of their sin. We get to see our need for salvation and God's saving plan through Jesus Christ. In fact, both the Old and New Testaments point to Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 5, 39 to 40, Jesus uh, said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them, in the words, you have eternal life. He said, and it is they, the words, that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, life is found in Jesus Christ. Yeah, in here, in the word, there, there are clues to eternal life, but we have to recognize that that life is ultimately through Jesus Christ. In Scripture, we learn the information about us, who we are, our origin story, the ongoing process of sanctification, that wrestling work that happens within us when we fight that battle that that Brian prayed about. We live in these carnal human Bodies and, and the Spirit of God is gradually taking control of our lives as we release control to Him. And yet we still battle. And as we see in the Word, in Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we read and hear and study and meditate on the word, we get glimpses into our own souls. We can say with Jeremiah, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or we can echo the prayer that Paul prayed 
Who will save me from this body of death? The thing I want to do, I do not do. And that which I do not want to do, that's the thing I do. We learn about our sinful desires that wage war against the divine nature that God is infusing into us through salvation in Jesus Christ, through forgiveness that we receive from him, through his spirit in his church. In God's word, we get information about how we should live. As we sang earlier, in fact, this is the memory verse for this week. Last week was a little harder. This week is easier. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is designed to help us understand not only what should be happening here, lighting up my feet so I know how I should live, but lighting up my path so I know where I should go. And we could go on, but... But God's word really does have so much information teaching us about God, teaching us about us, teaching us about how we should live. And just as bread on a shelf can't help us physically unless we eat it, that that is unless you have a low-carb diet, you don't want to eat bread, you can eat something else. But bread on a shelf does us no good if it stays on the shelf. So too, the word of God does not do us any good if it stays on the shelf or stays in your pocket or stays turned off on whatever device you choose to read the word on. And so in response to the inspiration, the nutrition, and the information that we have in God's word, in response, we need to ingest God's word. We need to take it in. This is the ingestion, not indigestion, but ingestion. And I think there are several ways that we can take in Scripture. The ways that it has been taken in most throughout history is by hearing the Word. We need to hear the Word. And hopefully this happens each week as we gather, both here in corporate worship, but also in our community groups as we gather. In fact, last night we were reading together again in our group, Psalm 37, and we, it was a joy to hear it read with different voices in, in different translations, of all in English, but different English translations so that we could hear it uniquely. And then we discussed it. And just so you guys know, over the next several weeks, as we go through this series, we're going to be reading aloud various parts of Psalm 119, which is essentially a meditation on the word or the law of God. Each week, we're going to have a new eight-verse set as it walks through these, these really meditations on how to learn, how to live, how to know God's word. But thinking about this idea of hearing the word, hearing the word is the way that most people have been able to engage with the word throughout history. In the grand scheme of things, broad literacy is a fairly recent phenomenon. Until about 500 years ago, the population generally didn't know how to read. It was only the highly educated, only those who had the means by which they could go to certain schools to to read. Histories, knowledge, and information was generally passed on orally. And even today, there are some parts of the world that still are largely oral societies. And so it becomes incumbent upon us who can read to read the words aloud to those who can't. Those of you guys who are parents with young kids, read the word. Let, it, let them hear it in their minds and so that when they do when they are finally able to read it with their eyes, they can know it and understand it. 
But even if we can read, I think hearing the word is a profound blessing. As we take, because we take in information differently through hearing, it affects us differently than the, than the way it does just when we read with our eyes. So maybe as you read, and we're going to get to that part in, in a minute, but as you read, maybe you read aloud so you, you hear yourself reading God's word. But Jesus affirmed the practice of hearing the word in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. He said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And then Paul in, in Romans 10, 17 reminds us, he says, faith comes from hearing. We have to hear it. And hearing comes through the word of Christ. We need to take in and we need to ingest scripture orally with our ears. We need to also hear Scripture explained orally. Having people read and then discuss Scripture, I think, is vital. This is why in our community groups, one of the things we are trying to do is to read it together and then discuss it, not just so we can check some spiritual box, but so that we can be transformed into salvation, then on to towards sanctification, becoming like the people that God, becoming the people that God wants us to be. It was such a joy last night as we were together reading and hearing, and, and some of the teenagers were like, here's how I interact with the word of God. Here's how I do this. It was so encouraging. I got to hear some people's favorite words, their four favorite words, and they happen to all be in this psalm. We got to understand why and how that gets lived out. We need to hear it read and speak it to each other. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. But in addition to ingesting the word through hearing, we need to ingest the word through reading. Read the word. And one of the things that the Reformation did is that it took Scripture out of the hands of the clergy and put it into the hands of everybody where it should be. It took it out of a language that nobody knew and into the language that everybody knew. It took, put it back into common vernacular so that everyone could read it. And for those of us who live here in the United States, especially in the English-speaking world around the world, we have so many resources by which we can read the Word. There are so many translations that, that I couldn't count, I couldn't, I don't know, I probably have 15 different translations in my office, plus another 20 English translations on my computer. We have so many resources. There is no reason why we shouldn't be able to open the Word and read it. Maybe you don't like the authorized version because it's written in Old English. Well, get the New King James Version. Get the NIV Get the ESV, which is the one that I often read. Get the New Living Translation. It's a little more casual. If you want to go really crazy, use the message translation. Hear Eugene Peterson's weird take on so many different things. I do want to encourage you to read a good translation. I think New King James, King James, ESV, New American Standard are all, and CSB, they're all solid translations that give us accurately the word of God. 
But again, reading is not just a spiritual exercise. It's a practical one. Paul, as he was helping Timothy, he encouraged Timothy to live out the word of God so the people could see it and then read it publicly so that the beliefs and behaviors of that people could be based on the word of God, not just on Timothy's whims. In 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16, it says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise your youth, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And notice, when, when we read Scripture publicly, we get it two ways. Peter is, re- or not Peter, Timothy is reading it, whoever's reading it, Brian is reading it, and we are all hearing it. But in addition to reading, he goes on to say, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, and do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders, there's the church, laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you can live it out. He says, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, that's specifically to a young pastor, but I think it's the same for us. As parents, read. Explain the word to your kids. Live it out so that they can see that it works. But thirdly, the third way that we, I think, can interact with Scripture is to examine the word. In in other words, study it. We need to not only hear it, not only read it, but examine it, study it. In a recent podcast interview I was listening to, uh, N.T. Wright encouraged people to foster a sense of curiosity about the Word of God. He said, as, as we read, as we, we need to get curious about the Word. As we read, we come across different passages or concepts to tug on those strings of curiosity, to press into where did that come from, to press into what happened there, to, to be curious, where is this cross-reference? Some of you guys may have Bibles, study Bibles that, are, that have cross-references. Look and see what those cross-references are, are pointing back to. Look up parallel passages. See how the different gospel writers or, or the different historical accounts in the Old Testament write out different things. Use a concordance in the back of your Bible to see how different words are used. As we saw earlier, Timothy was encouraged to publicly read the word and then explain it. And he really, this comes from this guy named Ezra. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, and to do it, to live it out, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. What What Ezra taught came from the word of God that he had studied. So as we read, get curious about it. Let's read slow enough to allow our minds to be like, what, what was that? I wonder about this. God, what, what happened there? Yesterday, as I was reading, in, uh, I happened to be in Genesis 10 and 11, and, and, and this is a part of Genesis. This is right after the flood. Uh, Noah and his family are beginning to spread out, and, and then in 10 and 11, we run into the Tower of Babel. And one of the things that is very interesting, you get all these genealogies throughout the book of Genesis, and so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. But in this one particular genealogy, it said that two years after the flood, Seth became the father of so-and-so. And then he had other sons and daughters. And we don't get to hear about those other sons and daughters. 
And then he goes on and says, that son, when he was such and such years old, had a certain son and had more sons and daughters. And then that certain son, and it just goes on and on. I thought, why is he doing this? Part of it is so that we can understand timelines and we can understand ages. It's really interesting when you think that Adam... You know, when his third son, Seth, came along, he was 130, 150 years old. And now it's, there's something that happened after the flood. All, everybody, rather than having kids in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, Jim and Annabelle, aren't you guys glad you had all your kids when you were younger? <laughs> rather than having kids in their 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, they started having them in their 30s and 40s. So interesting. But here's the, here's the other thing that happened. So I began to do a little math. Because what he's doing, the, the writer of Genesis there is getting us to Abraham. And he says, and at such and such a time, Abram was born in Ur of the Chaldeans. So I began to wonder, how long was it from the end of the flood to Abraham? 292 years. And in that time, you have the Tower of Babel. In that time, you have all these people that nobody really knows. They just kind of get glossed over. But when you think about it, our country hasn't even been around for 250 years. And yet we study in school all these different events. And here there's 292 years of our human history that is glossed over in about 10 verses. And yet there are lives that happen. I began to just be curious about a few other things. And um, anyways, I know I'm running along and I, I want to stop, but I want to just encourage you Begin to ask questions of the text. Begin to wonder, why, why is the, the writer of Ecclesiastes saying this this way? Why is the gospel writer saying, what did Jesus mean by that? And press into it. Don't just, maybe even write it down. So as we close, I want to ask you a couple of questions. And the first is this. I want you to raise your hand. This is a quiz. I'm going to grade you on the way out the door. I'll give you your report card. <laughs> raise your hand. How many of you, unless you're fasting, thank you, Steve, um, how many of you eat food daily? Unless you're fasting, how many of you eat food daily? Okay, easy, easy test. Everybody got that. Now, I, we'll talk about spiritual fasting in a few weeks. But So let me, this is not so much a raise your hand, yes, no question. What would happen if you didn't eat food for a few days or a few weeks, you would die or you would get very sick and then people would put in the hospital, put you in the hospital and force you to eat food, right? Now, just think about these questions. If the word of God is equated, as Jesus said, to bread... Are we, just like we're eating bread, just like we're eating food daily, are we daily getting spiritual nutrition from the Word of God? Do you and I have a regular pattern of feeding on God's Word? Because if you ate food once a week, like we come to church once a week, maybe twice a week with community groups, we would not be very healthy. We need it daily. Are you in a pattern of daily reading the word, either alone or with your family? When you hear the word, whether in worship or in your community group, as you walk or in your commute, 
Are you paying attention or is it just wafting through your brain? Are you allowing the words to penetrate your mind or are they simply passing through? Are you making time? Because it does take time. Are you making time to get curious about the word of God? To press in. Why did God say that? I began today with an encounter from Donald Whitney. That book, that came from his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And he has another book entitled 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. I wish I had some copies of this in the book nook, but we don't. And one of the questions he asks in that book is, do you thirst for God? Do you have a thirst for God and his word? Do we long for God the way our bodies long for food? Are we feeding our souls on the word? And may our prayer each day as we come to our time in the word, hopefully we have time in the word each day, not to be legalistic, but to be nutritious, spiritually nutritious, nutritious. May we say, along with the the writers of the song we sang earlier, word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty? Help me to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God speak. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the treasure and the joy that it is to have your word written down so that we can read, so that we can understand. Lord, give us a a thirst and a hunger for you, for your word, that we might truly delight in what you've chosen to write down for us to know. Lord, thank you for inspiring it. Thank you for the spiritual nourishment that you provide in it. Thank you for the information that you instruct us with in your word. And thank you most of all for Jesus Christ who came as the living word to redeem us. Lord, help us to want to be with you in fellowship through your word. In Jesus' name.